Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Psalm 34, 3 and 8. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name forever. Together. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Please pray with me. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. Thank you for this opportunity to come together in prayer and worship. Holy Spirit, we invite you in and ask that you'd be speaking to our hearts. Pray that the way that we live our lives would be impacted today by every word that you have for us and every way that you lead us. Jesus, please send us out from here uh, in a way that is focused on you, that we can love you and honor you with the way we spend our time and with our words. Jesus, we love you and ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. I want to um, invite you to keep your Bible open to 1 Peter. We're doing a, a study on um, the mission of our church, why we exist as a church. And we spent two weeks talking about the short phrase, living in Christ, that each individual person um, is to be growing in their relationship with Christ, to be abiding in Christ. The second part of our reason for existence is that we do that with community. So we've chosen short words in Christ with community for others. That's our three parts that are simple, easy to hold on to, easy to remember, but filled with depth and meaning. And so when we think about community, um, how, do, how do we get along? How do we do church? Um, it gets a little bit more complicated and a little bit more challenging than maybe we first think. Let me give you just a, a quick example. Um, when my boys were in elementary school, uh, and we'd go out and do adventures and, and find things and have fun together, I would say things like, hey, boys, come on over here, let's look at this. And they'd be like, okay, Dad, it was, it was, let's do it. It was fun, it was easy. Now, as teenagers, it's a little bit different. Just this weekend, we uh, were up in the Mammoth area, and there's an area in the Bishop, uh, near Bishop, where there's some neat um, Native American drawings, and so we went to go find those. And we stayed together on the trail for about 30 seconds, and then everyone was off, kind of doing their own thing, and Karen and I are trying to keep everyone kind of in visual, and Chase is way off in the distance over here, and Finn and Kate are climbing on rock, doing their own thing, and I was like, it was so simple and fun and easy when they were four, six, and eight, and we all stayed together as a family, and it's fun, and it's simple, and what you learn is that creating and maintaining healthy relationships, it's challenging, it's hard, and Having an honest church community, um, an authentic church community, it takes work. It does not naturally happen. 
I don't know if, uh, if any of you college students here are part of a small group, but when I was in college, uh, everyone, pretty much everyone, um, was part of a small little group, and we'd meet weekly and study the Bible and pray together. And that was just, it was, I'm going to share a story that kind of makes fun of it, but it actually was meaningful, and I enjoyed it. But even community within six, seven, eight guys was difficult. And I'll never forget, I had a friend of mine from Port Townsend go to college with me. He was a couple years behind me. And we are sitting in our dorm, five or six of us, and one of the guys begins sharing, and he begins talking about the struggles of his life. And it was one of those things, maybe you've been a part of this, where the guy kind of just kept going on and on. But but very heartfelt and, and getting teary and just sharing about his dad and just the brokenness of life. But he just kept going. And finally, my friend, with the most unsympathetic, harsh tone, said something, will you just hurry up? <laughs> like that. And it was so, everyone just went like, Ugh! like we didn't know what to do. And it was awkward. And he was like, this is not meant to be a time just for you alone. And, we're, and the guy's like, okay. <laughs> Getting together and having honest, good, healthy, Christ-centered friendships are difficult. Having a church community that is the community that Jesus calls us to is difficult. And when we start thinking about the challenges of it and why it's difficult, um, one of the things that we have to do is we have to look within our broader culture and think about are there things in our broader culture that make it difficult? And here's, there's one topic that many people write about, that they've been writing about for maybe about 10 years or so, about the culture of America. Been writing about it for a very long time, but even more specifically within uh, Christian culture. And the topic is individualism, and that we are more individualistic as a culture than we realize, that as Americans, um, we like doing things our own way. We're very independent people, and that flies in the face. That's going to create tension. It's going to create conflict when you're trying to create community. Just think about your own families, if you're married or children, and everyone wants to do their own thing. Right? So I, years and years ago, I used to, uh, we, we would go up to Mammoth for a ski, tree, a ski trip with Calvary Church of Pacific Palisades. And I'll never forget, this is like the heart of youth ministry. You're in the van with 12 people, and everyone wants to listen to a different radio station, right? And so there's bickering, there's arguing, and finally, like, you're just like, turn it off. Everyone wants their own way. One author writes this about individualism, and we can reflect. You can agree or disagree with this author, but we'll think about it. He writes this. Individualism, however, is a way of life that makes the individual and his or her wants, needs, and desires supreme or sovereign over everything else. Individualism places a higher value on lawsuits over reconciliation individual rights over community responsibilities, career advancement over company loyalty, cynicism over trust. Individualism, where the wants and desires of the individual take precedence over all else, has no place in the Christian community. 
And here's his central point. Here's, he writes this. This is hard to swallow, but here's the premise that he's making. Today's church is not a community. It's a collection of individuals. I'll say it one last time, and we can think about if this is true of our church or not. Today's church, talking about the American church, it is not a community. It's just a collection of individuals. And so we have to ask ourselves, is that true of our church? Maybe, may, maybe not. We can reflect and think about that. And so as we wrestle and think about what does it truly mean to be a part of a church family, a church community, thankfully um, God's word helps us and gives us clarity. So this morning we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, and he offers us a vision or a path forward of a compelling community of how the church is to function, even if that pushes back against the individualistic culture that we are a part of. And so let me just make um, some observations and some principles to help us get this right. So number one is this, that the Jesus community has common beliefs, has common beliefs that we hold on to. Psalms 34, according to many uh, commentaries, uh, believe that it was a, um, an early uh, significant hymn that was sung in the early church, that they held on to it as almost a discipleship manual, that Psalms 34 was significant. And there's, one, well, there's a few phrases that are repeated in 1 Peter, but the one phrase I want to draw our attention to that begins to break the culture of individualism, and that is this, that we are to taste and see that the Lord is good. And that is a far different experience than just acquiring knowledge. So a church that is based on just acquiring and giving more Bible knowledge leaves you limited from or lacking from tasting and seeing. That there's to be an experienced dimension to following Jesus. That it is not just a surface level, but it's to touch our heart. It's to affect how we live. It's to change the way we think and the way we view people. And so Peter is going to write this, and he's going to talk about this common belief, a common bond, and then he's going to talk about that the Jesus community has a common, um, a common affection within our hearts, that there are certain things within our hearts that hold us together. And so here's what he says. He says, finally, all of you... In the previous passage, he had just, wrote, had just written about specific groups of people. Now he's saying, all of you... And he says this, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So he's talking about um, affections. He's talking about our emotions. And here's one thing that's really interesting, and we know this to be true, is that our feelings and emotions come about as a natural response or natural reactions to life. So, for example, if I were to say to you, we are going to feed the homeless on November 1st, you can all put that on your calendar, you can plan for that, you can prepare for that, you can do that. But when life gets frustrated, when there's relationship tension, we respond in life. We were driving home from Mammoth yesterday, and, and I was 
to be honest, we had a good talk with Karen and I about this, but I was just getting frustrated. We were at the gas station. We were there for a long time. The boys wanted a drink. Then they wanted a bigger drink. Then they wanted candy and a drink, and I was getting frustrated. And here's the difference between saying, hey, let's go feed the homeless on November 1st and how I'm doing in the midst of frustration. Here's what I learned. Not a lot of self-control. Not a lot of self-control. In fact, when I put the Gatorade back, I didn't even realize this. I shut the cooler door so hard that one of the guys that was working came out from another room and said, who's slamming the door? And I'm like, oh, I guess that was me. Didn't even realize it. And here's my point. That's just the real me. That's just, that's just like you, our emotions and the affections of our hearts just flow out. You can't plan out on November 1st that I'm going to get frustrated with some situation and I'm going to be nice and calm on that. So there's a big difference of what Peter is talking about here. He's talking about the emotions of the heart. He's talking about how do we create a community where the internal emotions, the internal affections of our heart create a healthy community. And if we're honest... It's quite the challenge. So let's think about this. Let's ask the question about this. He, when Peter writes these words, he creates this list. And one of the questions we can do when we see a list like this is ask, is there any connection with these words? Are these just random words that he pulls out and says, these are nice words? Or is there anything that hold them together? Where, here's what he says. He says, first, have unity of mind. So it's the same mindset that we're to approach life with the same view. And then he says at the end, he says that we are to have a humble mind. So look, there's, there's a connecting part with the beginning and the end. Unity of mind and then a humble mind. And then he says, number two in the list is the word sympathy. And then the number four in the list is a tender heart. So the, those two words have a link of being a sympathetic person and a tender-hearted person. And then the middle word is the word brotherly love. And that's kind of the centerpiece. So he's saying that the emotions of our heart are to be centered on our love for one another. And then he's going to expand what those mean. So we can ask ourselves... Are these part of who you are or do you need a personality renovation? Are you naturally sympathetic? Are you naturally compassionate? Do you have a mindset that thinks of others first? Do you have a view of life that is selfless? And what he's saying here is that these don't come naturally. The natural person does not have these. But your new disposition in Christ creates this. And so if you, if you have your Bible and you turn back um, one page, chapter 1, verse 23 says this. He writes, since you have been born again. And so that is the premise on which he's going to build upon. He's reminding believers. And in this letter, these are people who are part of a community that are, that are going through some really hard things in life. 
And he's saying, remember this, since you now have been born again, since you have new life in Christ, all of you, all believers everywhere are to develop, to cultivate these within our hearts. And so number one is this, is that we are to have unity. We are to have the same mindset. Let me give you a few places in the Bible, starting in the Gospel of John, where this is significant. Um, John 17. If you have your Bible, turn there. Let me just read this for you. It says this. This is Jesus praying. Praying for his disciples. Verse 21. That they may be one. So he's praying. Jesus is praying for his disciples, for all believers, that there is to be a oneness within us. And the basis of that is the relationship between Jesus and God the Father. He writes this, just as the Father, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So here's Jesus, the final hours before his death, he's praying for his disciples that there would be a like-mindedness amongst them. Then if you turn to Acts chapter 4, this unity is put on display. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 says this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And so early on in the life of the church, believers are holding on to the words of Jesus. That they are to be together, that they are to be aware that they came, people came together in the name of Jesus. Next, we have Romans 12. Paul says this in Romans 12, verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so here is what Paul is saying in this passage. He is calling for unity, but not uniformity. That we all have different interests, different age groups here, men, women, single, married, starting families, retired, different careers, different interests. And Paul is saying that is all part of the church, that we all have different gifts. But there is to be a like-mindedness within our hearts. So the question is, how can all of us different backgrounds, all the different things that we have, how can we all become like-minded? How can a community of people like ours come together in Christ and be like-minded? Well, one of the things that people do is you come up with really great and cool and clear marketing campaigns where you have nice photos and nice slogans and catchy words and catchy phrases. And I, I've been a part, and I mean this in a, in a healthy way, been a part of private schools and other churches where there are really skilled people at marketing things, right? And you put the right photos in it and you have all the right genders and the different groups of people made up and smiling people and everyone's fit and beautiful and you have a nice catchy thing that tries to capture people. But what happens when you pull back the curtain? What, what's really going on? 
And I think it's important that if we, honest, if we want to be an honest Jesus community, that means we pull back the curtain behind Instagram. Like what's really going on in the relationships? What's really going on in our families? What's really going on in that marriage? What's really going on at the gathering? What, what holds us together? There has to be something that holds us together. So the question is then, how do we become like-minded? And Paul, the Apostle Paul, helps us with that. If you have your Bible, turn to, um, this is our last place we'll turn to. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, and the Apostle Paul will give us some information on how we become like-minded. And he writes this, 4 verse 13, Until we all attain the unity of faith, And the knowledge of the Son of God to become mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So here's what Paul is talking about. When you come together under the authority of Jesus Christ, there will be a unifying bond. If we all want to listen to the different radio stations, if we all want to have different things going on in our lives, if we all want to hold on to certain things and this emphasis or this political party or that, all these different things. Do you know what he says? Here's what he says what will happen. The next verse. You will be tossed to and fro like waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness, by deceitful schemes. He said we'll be stuck in immaturity. That until the church comes under the authority of Jesus Christ, we will be stuck in immaturity. So the unifying like-mindedness that we have is not coming under the authority of any pastor or any church structure. It's coming under the authority of Jesus Christ. That he is our God. He says this, so that you will no longer be tossed like children. He says this, verse 15, rather that we speak the truth to one another in love, so that we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So the apostle Paul is saying, what brings all these people from different backgrounds and different things they enjoy different stages of life, what brings us all together is the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what holds us together. That's the bond that holds us together. I was reading this week, um, one guy who, who gave the metaphor or the picture of, of the Christian church or the body of Christ using the metaphor of an orchestra. And it just kind of made me, it was kind of funny at first and then it, it, I feel like it fits. But Let's think about this for a second. Let's just say that Christian life is that everyone is a part of the orchestra. And Jesus is the conductor. Jesus is the one who assigns the instruments. Some of you will play the flute. Some of you the clarinet, the piccolo. I found some really neat new instruments this week. We've got the French horn, the Vienna horn, the trumpet, the snare drum, the glockenspiel. Anyone know what that is? Not one person? Oh, you do? Okay, good. A couple of you do. I did not until this week. Um, and then the tubular bells. Some of you are the tubular bells. And he says this. Here's what happens. This is just, this is just human dynamics. All right? Jesus gives 
uh, all the flute players here and the piccolos. And then what happens is the piccolo person says, um, hey, Jesus, I wanted to be the flute. Um, hey, Jesus, the flute player is playing too loud. Would you please tell him to be quiet? The tubular bell says, uh, hey, Jesus, I want, my, I want a solo. I want, to do my, I want to be out front. I want, to be the, I want, I want my own time. The French horn says to the Vienna horn, you're just, you're way out of tune. You can't even play that thing. Please stop. <laughs> and the orchestra breaks down into chaos. The orchestra is designed to make beautiful music with Jesus as the conductor. Not me, not you, but Jesus speaking to us through his word. And he is the one who assigns. He gives roles. He gives responsibilities. And it's our job to find the role. Find your role. Reading your Bible, asking people, being a part of a community, and showing maturity, growing into maturity under the authority of Jesus Christ. It's naturally, it's natural within all of us to want our own way. I'm no different. And we experience this in life, just even as a family of five. How should we get home from Mammoth to Malibu? We want to go this way. I want to go that way. I want to look at these things. I want to look at those things. And I'm, I'm as equal as anyone else in wanting things my way. But Jesus, and, and, and we're reminded of this, that we will be stuck in immaturity as a church family if everyone demands their own way and does not yield to the authority of Jesus Christ. That's number one. We'll go more quickly through the rest here. So Peter is saying that there has to be a common bond between all of us. That is having a like-mindedness that Jesus is our head. Next, he says this, sympathy that is the emotion of compassion, that you have feelings with people, that when people are suffering or experiencing trials, you are able to experience that alongside of them. It requires an openness of your heart, <clears throat> not a closeness, but an openness, a willingness Next, <clears throat> Peter says, love, and this is a family affection. This is just a natural love that we have for our children or our families. Another word connected with sympathy is the word tenderhearted. That is a little bit more of an action word where there is ministry and concern expressed in action. Tender-hearted. Does that come to mind when you think of certain people? Do you have friends in your life that you're a compassionate, tender-hearted person? If we want to be a healthy community, we won't be critical and judgmental. We'll be slow to speak, slow to critique, show mercy, show concern for other people. Next, he says, humility. That is a selfless mindset that your attitude does not naturally go towards yourself. These are things that require a character renovation, a remodeling 
of how we view life. And it flies in the face. It, it will create conflict if we live in an individualistic culture. So I was thinking about this this week a little bit. I was thinking about different people who have roles and responsibilities. And, and, and we have so many people. This is, there's a, a challenge for me a little bit because there are so many people in our church that serve and do things behind the scenes. And I wish I, I, wish I could like bring them up here and say, hey, like here's examples of this that, that do this. So here's what I would say, that there are people that serve regularly, selflessly. And if you are not yet in that place, then the question is, what is holding you back? Is it our individualistic culture where you'd rather just have your more independent free time? What is holding you back? Well, how do we change to become this kind of person? How do we become a person where our natural... Look, this is how crazy it is. How do we become the kind of people where our natural disposition is to be compassionate? My natural disposition is to be, hey, toughen up. You need to get a little tough, get stronger, deal with it. How, how do we become people that we're more selfless, we're more understanding of, of what people have gone through? All right, so he's going to give us some help. So when we ask these kind of questions, I'm just going to briefly go through First Peter and show you how we kind of become this kind of community. So number one is this, if you like to take notes, how do we become people who are part of a healthy community? Number one is this, is the word repent. Repent. Chapter 3, verse 10 says this. This is a quote from Psalm 34. Whoever desires to love life. All right, this is... If there's anything about Malibu where we have people like love life, it's just, there's so many great things to do. But Peter's going to say, here's a different direction. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. So verse 11 says, turn away. Turn away. So, Number one is this, is the idea of repentance is this. It's just admit it. Okay, so that means, um, here's what's probably true for most of us. There are certain people that you're naturally compassionate towards. Like, like you have a natural connection. Maybe if your parents um, divorced when you were young, maybe you're naturally compassionate towards other people who have gone through that. But then you have people that you're naturally critical of. And this is true of all of us. So you know the people that you're naturally compassionate towards, and you know the people that you're naturally a critic of. And so the point is this. Keep your tongue from evil. Stop being a critic. Be careful with the things we say. Stop speaking deceit. Stop spreading things that aren't quite honest or are untrue. Peter says, walk away from it. That's number one. Number two is this, is come to Jesus. So we walk away from what we know is not healthy and good, and we abide in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 4 says this, As you come to him, referring to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So Peter is reminding us, that we do the Christian life by coming to Jesus. And what does that do for you? 
Here's what it does. Verse 24, chapter 2, verse 24 says this, that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. When you are honest and you come to Jesus, Peter is reminding us here that Jesus promises to heal your heart to promise to heal the critical spirit, to promise to heal your individualistic attitude, that my own personal happiness is what matters most. So there needs to be a healing of our hearts that would heal us of our self-centeredness, of our pride, of our hard-heartedness, of the attitude of, as long as I get mine, I'm okay. As long as I get mine and as long as I'm taking care, I'm okay. And Jesus will heal us and say, what about our community? What about people in our community? How are they doing? Repent, abide. Number three is to enjoy the presence of Jesus in your life. Chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 says this. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Do we enjoy the presence of Jesus? To enjoy just singing and, and, and praying and being in his presence together. There is an enjoyment factor. There's, the, the, the language of the Bible is quite interesting sometimes. In fact, the, the Psalms and Proverbs even use reference to honey and the sweetness of honey, that you enjoy it as you enjoy the sweetness of honey, that we are to enjoy Jesus Christ that way. Repent, abide, enjoy. There's something special. There's something, and you've probably experienced, but there's something special that warms your heart, that does something to your soul when we come together as a church family and sing about the goodness of God. That's what changes our lives. Number four is that we are to pray. Chapter 3, verse 12 says this. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Make requests. Pray that God would change your heart, that the affections of your heart, that the reactions that we experience in life would change. We build into our lives patterns of reactions. It's, it, it's true in my life. I know it's true in your life that when certain frustrations happen, right, we, we refer to this as maybe like pushing somebody's buttons. If you push these right buttons, you're going to get somebody really upset. And we pray that no matter what buttons people push in our lives, that our reactions would not be one of frustration and anger. And last, number five, is resolve. Chapter 3, verse 9 says this. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called. This is, this is the highest level of Christian behavior. It says this, that when people do evil or revile, that is to speak um, 
revile is this. It's slander. It's abusive words spoken falsely that damage your reputation. Evil is to cause damage to stir up bitterness. So Jesus is saying this, that when we focus our attention on Jesus Christ and we are working on the internal attitudes, the emotions of our heart, when people stir up bitterness towards you or people slander you, that you won't return it back, but you will be a blessing to them. There are things that happen within church communities where people do very hurtful things to one another. And Peter is telling us here that there is an alternative. There is a way to be a part of a church community that will create an enjoyment of life. So a Jesus community will have certain Affections will have certain emotions that make up our lives. But we all need growth in this. We all need areas of renovation of our heart. But the Jesus community will have a common DNA, a common behavior, and that is this, is that we will not be people who retaliate. And it's the highest calling upon our lives because the most challenging thing when people hurt you, it's to strike back. And the calling upon our lives, according to 1 Peter, is that there's a greater blessing. There's a greater alternative to the individualistic community that we, the broader culture that we live in, that there's a calling on our lives to be a Jesus-focused community. And at the highest level of that, it means that we return slander with blessing. And it's with that that we all need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that partners with the Word of God. We'll close in prayer, and, and as we pray, I just pr we'll, um, we'll include this, just a moment of, of quiet and pray that the Holy Spirit can work on our lives to create um, a community, a church community, where there's healing that's happening in our hearts where we're more compassionate, we're more understanding, we're more sympathetic, there's more humility, there's more kindness. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do a work on our hearts this morning that while we live in a culture that is focused on individualism and, and going our own way, we pray that you're your truth would work in our hearts. That we would become a community of people that taste and see that you are good. Our hearts would be full because of your goodness. And that when our hearts are full, our attitudes, our actions are changed because we've come to your presence and we've seen your goodness. Father, I pray that your spirit would be um, partnering with your word to heal our hearts, to become more compassionate, more understanding. We're so grateful for your goodness. Pray that we would leave here with our hearts full and joyful because of who you are and not because of what we do or don't do. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.